Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Patrick Davis and the Sports Complex, weekday afternoons, only on The Horn. Sports Complex on a Thursday afternoon. Got a big show for you coming up today. We're here all day. Rangers are off. That means a full two-hour show of the Sports Complex today. We're going to talk a lot more Texas versus Alabama. Uh, Sparks, Sark spoke to the media today. We'll play you some of that audio, tell you what it means for the Alabama game. Patrick's Big Fat Poll today. Joe Cook joins us at 530 to talk more Texas recruiting Alabama, all Texas football there. And as we get into the NFL season, Chiefs and Lions tonight, news keeps coming out about that game. We will get into some NFL predictions for you as well, get you ready for NFL kickoff tonight with the Chiefs and Lions. All that coming up on the show, and you can be a part of it, 512-337-3776, 512-337-3776 is the text line number how you can join the conversation here on the show. Remember, you can follow me on all social media at It's Patrick Davis. We'll see if I uh, imbibe enough tonight to uh, to start tweeting about this game. If it gets to a point, we'll see. I'm excited, though, NFL football. Uh, you know, I may have a fantasy player or two in this game, so I'm getting excited about it. Uh, looking forward to tonight's game. But I'm also very much looking forward to the game Saturday night. In Alabama, in Tuscaloosa. Uh, it is going to be a big one, Texas versus Alabama. We all know what's on the line. Uh, it, it's it's one of those games where so much is on the line and both coaches have to kind of slow play it and everybody has to slow play it. We saw Brian Kelly, as much as it's silly that he got so much flack for saying we're going to beat the heck out of FSU and then they lose and he says he didn't say it. Just say you said it. You're, you were a coach at a coach's show. It wasn't like you were – you know, saying it behind the scene it was a dark secret that you said it. You said it to fans because you you were justifying that we have a lot of young guys on the team. And then he says, we have a bunch of young guys that this is going to be their first real big road trip for LSU. A lot of young guys who haven't done this kind of thing before. But we're still going to beat the heck out of SF, FSU. I don't mind this. But so both coaches are slow playing because they don't want to have that moment. They don't want to be, you know, put over the coals for for saying anything so you you know you don't want to make it too much if you lose the game you don't want this to be your season but we know what it can mean for your team Sark spoke to the media this morning on his uh Thursday zoom call we get some audio from that let's start off with the opening statement uh Sark as he gets ready to go into 
what uh, Texas fans have been waiting for all offseason. Uh, I know as somebody who works in in a in a platform where we deal with Texas fans, and and I'm a Texas fan, and you know my friends are Texas fans. It, there's a lot of anticipation for this game for the entire season. Here's Sark in you know leading up to this week. What you got to do? A little bit about the week of preparation uh, with our team, and um, y- you know last week I I thought we had a good week of preparation and felt good about it. Um, but our players always seem to go to another level and, and take me to a space of, wow, they, 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 they have more in there. And I thought these four days of practice this week have been really good. Uh, I thought the intensity has been great. The mental intensity has been, been, been on point. Um, you know, Tuesdays and Wednesdays for us are always, you know, tough, physical, hard practices, um, and then Thursday today, what I what I liked is thinking back to last Thursday was, you know, we were really dialed in today on the details. And I think that that's that's what it's going to take, you know, and, and I think back to last Thursday and we were a little spotty. And then inevitably in the ball game, we were a little spotty with some of our details that 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 hurt us at times. And so uh, I'm really encouraged today knowing that, man, we had some hard physical practices on Tuesday and Wednesday we were really dialed in from an execution standpoint today um, because we know that that's what it's going to take in this ball game. You know, we're, we're playing a hard nosed, tough, you know, physical football team, um, but yet extremely well coached. And so those details are going to matter uh, in this game in all three phases. It is a week of preparation where, you know, at rice game, it's, it's somewhat hard on a You know, as you get closer to that game to stay focused, to stay, you know, completely in your game. If you have all off season, you're just ready for the game. You know, you're just waiting for a game to let out and you're not even, you're waiting for Alabama. Really? You don't even want to show up at that rice game. And and you as a coach want to show them that they need to be ready for every single game. And, and you can say the good takeaway from that rice game is that Texas players got the wake up call that you cannot take any plays off. You cannot take uh, your focus off of, off the, the ball for a second because you're going to end up, with what happened in that game, with what happened in, you know, just the amount of times that Texas did not look ready and did not look like they were, you know, uh, set up to be a a Big 12 championship team, not a national championship team. They didn't look like a Big 12 championship team at a lot of points in that first half. In the second half, they came out and looked a lot better in that game. But you have to get prepared. You have to stay focused. And you know that going into a hostile environment – that going in and there's game day and going in and all the cameras are on you and going in and everyone's, you know, with everybody's phones blowing up and everybody's got everything going on and the recruits are there and just all the fanfare that goes into what's going to happen this week and week two, your prime time, you're ready to go. You want to make a statement because, you know, if you're Xavier Worthy or JT Sanders or or even Isaiah Neor who didn't play a bunch or, you know, Jordan Whittington or, or an, uh, Adonai Mitchell – Quinn Ewers, Jalen Ford, Jalen Catalan, Tavondre Sweat, all those guys, you want to make an impact because you want to make an impact on NFL scouts. You want to jump up mock drafts and all of a sudden people will be game planning for you. You want to take that step up and you know there's a game, so you have to then take that inside of yourself and as a leader for the younger guys, push that message down that we need to focus, we need to get our step up in our game and we need to be really focused because the O-line play cannot happen the same way. The misses in coverage, the free runs at the quarterback that happened in week one cannot happen in week two. 
Sark did was asked about if the O line would be ready. He, you know, after when he talked on Monday, he said that the physicality was not enough for his O line. He said the physicality for for a lot of the team wasn't there that he thought would be. The mental preparation, everything wasn't ready for that O line. He gave a pretty quick answer to this one uh, about how the O line has been in practice this week and what they've put them through because of what they played like. We'll see if it works, but here's Sark when he was asked how the O-line, if the O-line's going to be ready after this week of practice. Well, it was pretty intense this week. So if, if uh, practice, if the game's anything like practice, we'll, we'll be okay. It was pretty intense. So we saw they went out and were intense. Now, part of that is great. Part of that is, you know, you want to see the team be more physical, but they weren't, you know, even though Kelvin Banks had his worst game at Texas, even though there were some, you know, not great blocks, that wasn't my problem as much. Now, you want the physicality to step up, but you need the communication to step up in this team as well. And if they're just running straight ahead, that's not exactly what we need. We need the offensive line to be able to read these defenses because if you don't want to think that Alabama is going to take some things from that Rice game that worked and at least try them, at least try a couple ghost fronts and at least try a couple, you know, disguising fronts just to just to see. Let's see if we can get away with this and get a free shot on the quarterback or get a get a turnover because he's going to throw the ball away and throw off his back foot. Let's see what we can do. We have you know, you want it to be you want to be ready, you want to be, you know, pumped up to go because, you know, you're this was against the Rice team that wasn't as big. You're about to go play against some big boy D linemen and they're going to come at you. You're going to need to step your game up a little bit more. Here is uh, Sark talking about Quinn's week of practice because Quinn Ewers, while he didn't have a terrible game, didn't have a great game, he is going into a massive statement game where the media is going to be going after him. You know, he's heard it all week that something where I'm sure in his head he envisioned that after the Rice game, he was going to come out the hero and he was going to look real good. And, And his focus was going to have to be. Oh, you know, I got some things to work on, but you know, I don't get don't let your head get too big. And I don't think that's the case at all after week one. He's gonna have to work on that. He's going to have to work on picking picking himself back up and saying, Okay, these are the problems I had. This is what I didn't get. Go watch that game film. Dive into that game film and see what he didn't see. See all the different looks and try and change that. Here's a Sark on Quinn's week of practice. I mean, Quinn's had a really good week. Um, I think he has a firm understanding of the game plan and what we're trying to do, uh, whether it's our base down stuff, whether it's, you know, third down, fourth down, and and obviously in the red area. Um, you know, I think it's it's tough to go beat teams like that on the road without your quarterback playing well, you know. So I think that, you know, naturally, um, you know, hopefully we can, we can find a rhythm for him and, and create some opportunities. Uh, to take some shots and, and that rapport with his receivers can can shine through um, because that it, you, you got to play a complete game. You, you can't be a one-dimensional team. And um, like I said, I think we're a really versatile team. I think Alabama's a very versatile team. Both teams can win games a variety of ways, but naturally uh, you, you need a complete game to uh, to go and, and, and try to try to win a game like this. So that's where you talk about the complete game. The complete game, and I know there's parts in this where Sark talks about hopefully he can take a shot downfield and hopefully he plays well enough that he can take a shot. I, I, I'm not as worried about that. If that happens in the game, great. But that's not all on Quinn. That's on the play calling to allow Quinn to get to that point. That's on 
calling the right run plays, qual- calling the right uh, underneath passes, completing those types of plays, which we know you can complete, that's what that's about. Uh, that's not fully on Quinn. If Quinn's missing those, we're a long way away, and that's a big problem. I'm not worried about that. The deep shots you worry about. But what you're really worried about is, is he going to be able to read these, these defenses? Is he going to be able to make the right play calls? We had a texter yesterday who I think brought up a good point that there probably wasn't a lot of – they weren't allowed to check down on a lot of plays. Now, you still need to read your – you know read who you know the coverage is and you still need to change who you're blocking that you can do without audibling a play but you're not going to check down a play you're not going to audible a play in the rice game because you don't want to show off any of what you're what you've got ready to go that makes sense to me but Quinn Ewers needs to now have to be able to check his protections make sure if that O-line if he sees something and he doesn't hear the O-line get up on the center and get up on Jake Majors and ask hey like we know he's coming right we're good. We have this communication. We know that that guy, that linebacker, is not about to come smoke me, right? We're on that level. That's what you want to see from the consistency of Quinn Ewers is to make sure he gives himself the opportunity to put his back foot down and work on that footwork he worked on all offseason. That's what you want to see from him. You want to be able to see him really push the ability to get the ball downfield and throw a decent downfield pass. To do that, you need to have a clean pocket to do that, he doesn't need to be running all the time. We need to see that. Sark was also asked about the backup QB depth. We're going into that. And Malik Murphy, of course, comes into the game. Arch doesn't play. Uh, but asked about how many quarterbacks are going to be taking to Alabama. Here's Sark. Uh, we'll be taking four. Um, so Charles Wright will be the fourth one that will be going. You know, I just I think inevitably there's been a level of consistency in Malik's play um, that has been really encouraging. You know, he's always had um, – kind of the 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 highlight plays um but then there's been plays that were not so highlight in in taking care of the football and i think he's done a much better job of doing that um and you know clearly i think we saw glimpses of some of the throws that he was able to make uh in that ball game last week it was unfortunate you know we made a couple uh errors on our end that kind of knocked drives back and, and kind of hurt ourselves. But I, I think Malik did, did plenty enough there in that game that, that showed us some confidence. And quite frankly, I, I had all intentions of playing arch in that game. I didn't think that the fourth quarter would go as fast that it, as it did. And that I didn't want to put him in there for, you know, the last minute and a half and, and use a game on that. So um, like I said, th- those guys continue to, to work hard and, and compete at it. Um, hopefully as the season goes on that, They'll both get their opportunities to get in there and play. Yeah, you do hope they get their opportunities because if they get their opportunities, it means that they're do- that Texas is doing something right. And that's what you would hope to see. Uh, we did talk yesterday, but look, you don't hope that either guy gets into this game. You don't want Malik Murphy or, or Arch Manning, but we know after last year with the injuries, take as many guys as you can. You also want to get the Arch the, uh, you know, the experience. And you want to have Charles right there in case, you know, in case things go terribly wrong, you can put in a quarterback that doesn't, you know, work in there. You need a guy for some extra practices. I don't think Charles Wright's going to get in this game, but it, it's nice to get everybody the experience. It's nice to have everybody on there on the team. Uh, there is something interesting. We talked about it yesterday. One of the things Sark has going for him uh, that a lot of other coaches may not against Alabama, but it is something that the previous coordinators have. When we talk about, you know, previous assistants for Sark, are for Saban against him is with a new offensive coordinator, a new defensive coordinator coming in for Alabama that there is, you know, there's an air of mystery of what Tommy Reese is going to bring play calling wise, 
what uh, Kevin Steele, the defensive coordinator, is going to bring play calling-wise, what they're going to bring in and implement into their defense and offense. But Sark kind of brought – we brought this up yesterday. Sark has a better viewpoint because he mentioned on Monday the consistency of Saban relies on everything being Alabama way and Nick Saban way. So even when you come in, there's things that you can change and things you can't. And Sark knows what you can change and what you can't. He knows – that there's certain things you're not you're not supposed to change. You're not supposed to be able to, you know, move because that's the Saban way. That's the Alabama way. I don't Saban doesn't want you to change those things, so you can't. So Sark knows where the line is of what Tommy Reese is going to affect in the difference of offense from when he was there to when Bill O'Brien was there to now when Tommy Reese is there. And then he talks about Kevin Steele's defense, and he was asked. He's played against Kevin Steele before. He's called plays against him before. Uh, at Auburn when he was at Auburn and when uh, Sark was at Alabama. But what is – he kind of goes into this again about knowing what the Alabama defense is going to be, studying Kevin Steele. And it also shows you how much that Kevin Steele or how much Sark has been preparing for this game in the offseason, even though he won't come out and say it. Well, I mean, in the end, hey, I have a lot of respect for Coach Steele. Um, granted, in – Clearly, I have a ton of respect for Coach Saban. And so systematically, it's not a whole lot different of, you know, when Coach Steele left, you know, he um, he maintained the core structure of that defense. And so um, for him to be back and calling it in in that in that structure, it's it's really not that different that way. Um, as Coach Saban would always say, it's Alabama's defense, right? And that they're going to do it. It was it was Alabama's offense when I was there too. You know that that's I think that's one of the beauties and, and one of the hallmarks of how he's been able to sustain for so long. Um, but a guy like me, you know, I don't I don't have a whole lot of hobbies, so I kind of watch a lot of tape <laughs> throughout the off season and and in and in the, and during the season to where. Um, Sometimes I don't want to say it's for fun, but it kind of is for fun. You know, you're just watching football. You know, I, I get to do what I love and I love what I do. And I got a ton of respect for those men as coaches and the job that they've done throughout their career. So um, we do, we, you know, we drew, we do drill down on that kind of stuff, but we, we try not to chase ghosts too. You know, at the end of the day, you know, you, you can't, you can't try to get ready for everything. You got to trust your training and react to things when, when they come. So, there is. He knows kind of what everything's going to be because he knows when he was there, these are the things that are the the stalwarts and these are the things that don't change for Alabama football. We know these things are going to stay. What else can change? What can Tommy Reese bring? And that's what we have to figure out. That's the stuff where I have to watch every game that Tommy Reese has called and know his tendencies from job to job. And I have to go back and watch every game that Kevin Steele and I have my analyst and we're all going through and we're trying to pick any tendency that Tommy Reese and what he likes to do and what he likes to hide and what are his special plays that he only calls a little bit. And is he calling these in major games and who, who he, what he tries to do in big games and what he tries to do against the deep ball? Because we know he's going to wonder what Kevin Steele is going to do against the deep ball because that's what he wants. And I know he says explosive plays, but we know he means the deep ball on a lot of those. But Sark has an advantage in knowing the baseline of it. Not a bunch, but the baseline in a game where you don't know the offensive coordinator, you don't know the defensive coordinator, what they're doing with Alabama because it is their second game. They didn't show anything against Middle Tennessee State. You have a little bit of an advantage there. But I, I, you like to hear that he's been ready. And then it comes into trusting yourself at a point. That is what they didn't do against Rice. That's what Texas did not do at all against Rice, trusting yourself to make the right plays. They did what they were told to do. They lined up, and they blocked the way they were supposed to block. They ran the plays the way they were supposed to. 
and you didn't adjust the right way you need to. The defense did. It seemed that the defense adjusted a lot more than the offense, and we only saw one miscue on the defense, which would the one play David Benda missed, and he had a good game other than that. He just missed one play. But something that Sark is going to have to is going to go on, and this is something that has been a key point from Sark since he's gotten here. It's been a phrase he likes to use. It's a phrase that they're going to use a lot this week. Is playing with emotion, not emotional. And that's when you're talking about those split-second decisions and the trying to play within yourself in the games is you need to play with all the emotion and intensity and fire that drives you, but you can't think, I missed the last play, I have to go make it up on this play. You can't think that as an offensive lineman because that's when you pick up a hold or that's when you jump out of your blocks. You can't think as a defensive lineman, well, you know, the last time the offensive lineman won, so now I need to get a better start on this, and you jump out and give them five yards. You can't think of a defensive back, and you you grab and you get a penalty. That's when those penalties happen. That's when the mistakes work, where you worry too much and you press off and you slide in the grass because you're too you're too amped up now. You're being emotional, not emotion, not playing with emotion. Here's Sark talking about playing with emotion, not playing emotionally. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, I, I football is definitely a game of emotion, and especially when when you're on the road. Uh, in the type of environment that we're going into, we're going to need our emotion. We're going to need uh, everybody, you know, sticking together and and being tight on that sideline and on the field and being there for one another. You know, that energy, that that emotion is important. You know, when when you get emotional is when you when you start making you know poor choices and decisions on field. Um, you know, that's when late hits occur. That's when you know you you, you make unforced errors um, that that can dramatically affect the game, extend drives, things of that nature and knock drives back. So we just want to make sure that, that we're, that we're right there at the cusp of, of having really good emotion and energy and excitement. We should be, I mean, what, who wouldn't, who wouldn't want to be, uh, but not step over that line of, of making emotionally rational decisions. And that is something that is very big because Alabama did it last year against Texas, Alabama versus Texas last year, Texas came out and was dominating the game. And Alabama played with emotion, but they did not play emotionally. They did not let it get to them and let it snowball downhill, and they weren't able to come back. They were able to play. They did not play well the whole game, but they were able to come in and finish the game off. And if you're Texas, you understand there is no, there's no we're walking away with this. There's no we're going to go in and blow out Alabama. There's a point of we have a shot to win this game, but we need to do everything as hard and as physical and as intense as we can. We need to focus as hard as as we can, to not have any mental mistakes. We need to focus to try and catch every little nuanced thing that this defense is going to show us because if we let a guy come past us once, we can't let him happen again. But at the same point, when you start to win, Quinn Ewers gets hit a couple times. And when the pack, the pocket starts to collapse a little bit, there's plays where Quinn started to get out of his progression too soon because he started to play emotionally. He started to say, okay, I'm having more success running the ball than throwing it on some of these. When the pocket collapses, just go. You can't do that because they're going to come after you, they're going to be headhunting, and they're going to be trying to get the ball out from you. And headhunting is a little bit different than it used to be where, you know, I know he got hurt last year, but that was – there's extenuating circumstances. There wasn't a head-to-head shot. I don't think they're coming out to try and take him out, take him out, but they want to poke the ball out. Anytime a quarterback carries a ball, you want to try and poke the ball out. That's just how it is. That's what you want to do. So you're going to have to be able to get this team 
right now through a week of practice that you have to really put him through the ringer, really get him going, and then come back for Alabama. You have to get him in this, get him on the plane, get him on the bus, get him in the hotel room, and get him in the right state of mind because the O-line is going to have to step up their gameplay. You're going to have to be able to throw these intermediate games. You're going to have to be able to complete the simple passes you need to do to get the big play. And when that big play happens or doesn't happen, whatever the result of that big play, if he, if Quinn Ewers misses that big pass like he's missed a few times this in the game one, if he misses that, you need to be able to react with, okay, let's go back. Let's go back to the game plan. Let's hit what we're doing. You need to be able to go back to that. And if he hits it and you get that big touchdown, you don't need to walk around and think that, okay, we can hit that all game long, and I'm going to try and force it in next time. You have to play with emotion, but not emotional. That is what Texas is going to have to do in this game plan. Defensively, you get a big stop, you got to remember they're coming right back at you. And if, if Milleroy isn't working and you stop him, remember that Oklahoma game where you played so good, such good defense, that you knocked Spencer Rattler out of the game, off of Oklahoma, all the way to South Carolina. And you end up losing the game because Caleb Williams come in and has a as an epic performance. So you need to be able to play with that emotion and be level-headed. And you're going to have to just show a bunch of different things. We'll get more into it. Joe Cook is coming on. We'll talk a little bit more Texas versus Alabama, Texas recruitment. They got a big recruit yesterday, Texas football did. We'll talk more about that uh, in just a minute. But let's get to Patrick's big fat poll of the day. Patrick's Big Fat Poll of the Day on the Horn. 512-337-3776. 512-337-3776 is the text line where you can join in the conversation and we can answer our poll question for today. Yesterday we asked you about who is the best male athlete of all time under 5'8". We went with Lionel Messi. He wins away with it. We kind of snuck Barry Sanders in there to make it a fight. But Messi runs away with it, wins our poll for yesterday. Today, we are going to look at a little something because uh, Travis Kelsey has been ruled out for tonight. I know he is still arguing. There are still reports. I think he is telling people that he's still going to try and play. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs do not want him to get hurt more long term. Just get him healthy. It doesn't matter. I get it to week one, but you got to sit out. That's what they're going for, right? Uh, but I want to ask you, if you have a tight end, all-time list, tight end. Who, Which tight end do you want on the field with the game on the line? When you got to throw the ball, block, whatever you got to do, you got to get your tight end out there that you want to get it. Which tight end are you going for? And this is kind of a different list because we can't go real old school because old, old school tight ends aren't necessarily the guys that you want in there to make the big goal line plays. But do you go with the Rob Gronkowski? Is that the guy or is that a Tom Brady thing? Do you go back to Shannon Sharp or Tony Gonzalez? Is it Jimmy Graham your guy? Is it Travis Kelsey? Is it one of your guys now? Is it Mark Andrews? Are you Mark Andrews guy? Someone in the league right now. You love Antonio Gates, the man from Kent State. Tell us who you got. Which all-time tight end do you want on the field with the game on the line? All-time tight end, 512-337-3776. Who's your tight end when the game's on the line? You tell me. 512-337-3776. We come back. We'll have Joe Cook from Inside Texas talking more Texas football. Playing the big game against Alabama this weekend. We got Texas football on the mind here on the Horn on the Sports Complex. 1019 and 1260, the Horn app and hornfm.com.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Sports Complex with Patrick Davis of the Horn. Back at the Sports Complex here on the Horn. Keep those texts rolling in, 512-337-3776. Who is your all-time tight end that you want? Game on the line. Good answer so far. We'll read those coming up in a little bit. But we want to keep the ball rolling here on some Texas-Alabama talk. Keep throwing Texas football. And on the phone with us right now on the Vaqueros Cafe and Cantina Hotline, Joe Cook, the managing editor of Inside Texas. You can follow him at josephcook89 on X or Twitter or whatever you want to call it. You can follow him there. But he's in to talk some Texas football. Joe, how you doing, brother? Doing great, Patrick. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so let's start off with uh, the big recruit from yesterday. They get uh, Zine Umuzulu, if I'm pronouncing. I'm not sure if I'm getting that right from Allen, Texas. Four-star edge. Uh, what does this do for Texas in recruiting to get another big uh, recruitment on the edge? Yeah, this is uh, probably the weakest position on the roster on defense. Uh, if you look at, at it from a star perspective, from a production perspective. So to add someone like Umuzulu and, and pair him with someone like Colin Simmons, who's one of the top five players in the country, that's great news for that class. And the other thing is they fit different positions. They'll play on opposite sides of the line. Um, so you, you've addressed two different needs uh, with the addition of him in the class. And, of course, it's always good to – do well on a big power program like Allen, and also make sure you land family members. It's uh, not always been a guarantee with Texas in recent years, but uh, it's nice to you know see Neto's little brother is going to join his his uh, uh, be joined on the roster. Uh, Neto is going to have his little brother join him on the roster. There we go. So um, they're still looking for a couple more defensive end edge rushers in this class, uh, but to add Umuzulu, especially at Oklahoma and Texas A&M's expense, is a pretty nice pickup for the Longhorns. Yeah, it is one of those things in today's game too, where it's get as many as you can because you don't know how many are going to stay, and you don't know how many are going to work out. And we know at Texas, you know, you get enough five stars and four stars and everything else, and. If they don't, if you don't get the right ones and you don't work them out right, it doesn't end up doing much. Uh, but let's get into uh, let's talk a little bit about last week before we get into Alabama. Biggest takeaway from you from week one, and you can't say offensive line because we know it's the offensive line. But what other than the offensive line? What's your biggest takeaway from week one? I think the discussion over the past week about Texas football has been a big battle between oh, it was all vanilla. You know, don't worry, they weren't showing anything for. For Rice and oh no, it was still bad because sorry, Patrick, because of the offensive line and stuff <laughs> like that. You know, I, I think the truth is a little bit in the middle. You know, you didn't see a lot of motion. Keelan Robinson, who is going to be a big part of this team, only had two total offensive touches. Like those are some; those are different aspects of Steve Sarkeesian's offense that we're definitely going to see a lot more of. Uh, but despite being 
you know, playing, I guess, by Sarkeesian standards, there was some lack of execution, uh, miscommunication on the offensive line. Uh, the deep ball, of course, continues to be a, an area of, you know, lack of success, I guess to say. So a little bit of both, but it's all stuff that doesn't really um, – it's stuff that can be addressed, and it's stuff that can be addressed just by throwing more things at Alabama. You, you don't have to maybe shore up what they ran versus Rice, but they can throw more at Alabama and confuse them that way. But I think the same probably holds true on, on the other side for how the Crimson Tide treated Middle Tennessee as well. Yeah, exactly. And it was one of those things that I, I like, is there any explanation for the O-line play? Because we saw, you know, we saw what happened and it wasn't so much, you know, Kelvin Banks having a bad day. That happens. You know, you don't want to see it, but it happens. But the amount of free runs at a quarterback, there's no way a coach thinks, you know what, before we play the biggest game of the year, let's, uh, let's hit the defense tee off on them a few times. Is there any explanation for how, how much they just missed free runs at the quarterback and missed guys over and over again throughout that game? You know, like miscommunication. I mean, that's. Uh, I think one of the big ones that you're referencing was uh, there was supposed to be a pass off. I think between Kelvin Banks and Hayden Connor, and that's you know, it's a true sophomore and a true junior. Yeah. I think, or maybe a redshirt sophomore, third year player. But th- that's supposed to be taken care of. Um, it's not all on on you know Jake Majors, but he has to make sure that communication is up to snuff. Uh, and then, you know, I'm, I'm also looking at DJ Campbell. He had five-star billing, but that's because he had five-star athleticism and five-star strength. But there was some processing of the, the image in front of him. That that was not five-star. And, and that's some of the, the wards you have to deal with when looking at uh, true freshmen and also true sophomores making their first start. We'll see how Texas decides to handle that. Cole Hudson could be an option. He started all 13 games last year. Uh, but, you know, the, the similar pitfalls there, and, of course, Neto Umezulu, uh Zena's older brother, could be an option on the inside as well. But I'm not sure about the idea of throwing somebody out there versus Bama for their first career start or first extended action in Bryant-Denny Stadium. We'll see if they mix it up. But as far as starting goes, I, I'd be surprised if Connor was up upended. But you may see a little bit more Cole Hudson and potentially even in the starting lineup. Uh, on Saturday to try to address those O-line issues. Yeah, and I mean, it, the communication is clearly one of the biggest issues, and that was a home game against Rice. It was not going to be as loud as what you're going to have uh, going into Tuscaloosa. Uh, but uh, the other part of this, too, the running backs, the stats look pretty good. Some of the plays looked really good with the running backs. Some of the plays didn't. But you wanted to see – I well, I personally wanted to see a running back really step out into – and be the guy – and I don't think we saw that any running back. Did any running back make their case in Sark's eyes to be the guy, to, to you know be the definite star that we don't have to do this dance every week? Or is it going to be by committee if we're till further notice? I think Sark was probably holding back a little bit. But the leading rusher was Jaden Blue, and um, he performed really well at 12 carries. But I'd, I'd be surprised if he was the leading rusher again. This yeah. week, you know, I, I thought Jonathan Brooks. You, you take, you look at that drop, and you have to weigh that, and that's the play that you need to. You have your running backs make. Uh, but I look at that touchdown, and you know, making the one man miss, and then running away from the rest of the tacklers as just, uh, you know, those are the types of plays that you need your running backs to make. And C.J. Baxter made one too until he got hurt at the end of it. And you know, Sark is a uh, he, he. He says a lot of things, and sometimes he leaves things unsaid. He said he's looking forward to seeing. Baxter out there and expects he's, he's going to be available, but 
you know, until he says something like, yeah, he's playing and he's going to start, like, I, I'm going to be a little bit wary of how uh, how much we see of Baxter if he's on a pitch count. So um, I think you can go along with Brooks and still do well, um, as long as, like I mentioned, you mix up the offense some and don't make him have to do every single thing in the running game. Yeah, and you're expected to see Keelan Robinson a lot more than we saw him this week, right? Yeah, absolutely. More than more than two touches, and especially for him, he's he's had this game circled for a while. He's ready to go back to Tuscaloosa and make a few plays on his old, old team. Yeah, you could tell that one. So, all right, so we're let's move on to Alabama now. And and what's going into it? If you had to name the biggest concern you have, I know there's plenty of concerns anytime you go into Tuscaloosa. Anytime you play against a coach like Nick Saban, there's plenty to worry about. What's your biggest worry on the Texas team? Of uh, something that needs to be fixed, or something that you know you you're not sure is going to show up come to next uh, come Saturday. You said on the defense, on either side, just on our side of the ball. Oh, I got you. Well, I mean, here's a lot of players on this team were on the roster in 2021, and they went to an Arkansas uh, Razorback stadium that was pretty vicious, uh, not friendly in the slightest. Uh, definitely the the largest stadium that they played in outside of DKR and the most hostile and uh, they uh, didn't really fare very well and Steve Sarkeesian's talked about how you know he didn't have that team prepared and he believes that there's a lot more mental fortitude with this team and I'm inclined to believe him but I mean Texas doesn't play in front of 100,000 you know hostile fans they, they play in front of 100,000 friendly fans or you know 50,000 at the Cotton Bowl who are friendly and 52 are, or who are hostile or maybe even, you know, 65,000 at Iowa State. But that's the biggest Big 12 stadium they go to. I'm, I'm really curious to see, you know, despite everything we're talking about with the team, you know, the defensive tackles being a strength, Jalen Ford being good, the defensive backs being deep, wide receiver being deep, all the different stuff. This team's got to prove they can do it in front of a crowd of 100,000 who uh, want them to, to fail play after play. And um, I think you know, this team, like I said, it's equipped to do it, but it, you, you got to show it. And I think everybody's waiting to see how that goes. Yeah, that Arkansas game ruined Father's Day. Really, really not a fun one. Ruined Father's Day with me and my dad. Uh, talking to Joe Cook, managing editor of Inside Texas. You can follow him at Joseph Cook 89 on X. Uh, so one of the big concerns of Texas last year, a big concern basically of any defense, but especially with the mobile quarterback of Jalen Milrow for Alabama. The defense looked great against Rice, but you're, it's Rice. What does Texas need to do to get off the field on third downs and fourth downs in this game? Because it killed them last year. they got to keep uh, Jalen Milrow in front of them, and I think that's why you'll probably – you may not see a ton of man coverage, at least on third down or in those situations, because if he sees the, the back plate, the name plate – He's probably going to tuck and run. Uh, they just got to keep him in front of him. And I'm not saying to spy because I think a lot of times people say, oh, just spy him every play. Well, that's that basically renders you 10 and a half on 10. It messes with the, the structure of a defense. But they'll definitely have guys keeping eyes on them um, as they do. And, and you'll probably see a lot more zone coverage on third down. Still, they're going to have to try and get after him. Uh, they Texas showed off some varied formations this past week uh, on defense. They haven't really shown a lot throughout the Pete Kwiatkowski era, and that'll probably muddy the picture for a, a player who, of all his strengths, his weaknesses are going through progressions and seeing where to go with the football, even with pressure in his face. So um, it's either get after him and get him down or, or keep you in front of him and hope that uh, and force him to pick apart 
defenses in a way that he has not in his short career proven to be able to do quite yet. Yeah, you just can't allow the blitz to get past him and not bring him down. Because once, once you start playing that game, Jalen Milrow is going to kill you. Uh, so if Texas Texas can do what they do on defense, you know you hope that the offense clicks together. But how does Texas find a way to win this game against Alabama, going against an experienced, a more experienced Alabama team, at least of playing big games, and they're at home? How does Texas get a win? I think they have to pick on some of the uh, younger members or maybe the second-string guys on the Alabama secondary. Um, they've got Kool-Aid McKinstry, uh, owner of one of the best names on, in college football, but still a really talented player. Uh, but some of their starters on defense, including a, a transfer and a couple other guys, are banged up. So there's going to be some – I mean, they're Alabama second stringers, but they're Texas wide receivers. It should be one of the strongest units on the team. And Texas is able to press those guys who may not be – quite used to having to do that on a play-by-play basis. Now, there's a freshman for Bama. And there's a a tier of players, or I I guess I should say a tier of player when it comes to praise that only has one name in it right now. It's Minka Fitzpatrick, who uh, played for Steelers. I think he's on the Dolphins now, if I remember right. But Nick Saban would constantly praise Minka Fitzpatrick, no matter what point in his career he was at, about being just prepared and being able to translate preparation to athleticism. And I think Caleb Downs may enter that conversation by the time he's done at Bama. True freshman, makes a lot of plays at safety. Got to watch out for him, but you got to make life difficult for him because the, the Middle Tennessee Blue Raiders are not the same. Uh, they don't have the same wide receiver core as Texas has with A.D. Mitchell, Xavier Worthy, all those different guys. So uh, I think if, if Texas wins this game, it's because they let the wide receivers work in space, get the ball, and worked on a, a, a Alabama defensive backcourt that may not be at 100% already in week two. There you go. Talking to Joe Cook from Inside Texas. Sark loves a gadget play, loves a little, you know, trickery or not even trickery, but just trying to throw some different things against the wall with all the wide receivers you have now, with the with the running backs like a Keelan Robinson who can get out and catch. How much do you think Sark throws different things at this Alabama defense early in the first half? And how much of it do you think he tries to hold back and, and not play his cards too much early? Is this a Sark, let's go full force early, or does, does he sit back and – and try and play the game out. You know, I think that script's going to have a lot of different things. It kind of depends on what personnel he wants to throw. Uh, a lot of there, I know there are a lot of fans who say throw tempo, throw tempo. Well, Stark likes throwing a lot of different personnels. You know, multiple running backs, multiple tight ends, that type of thing. That takes substitution. So I, I would honestly side with the the idea of tempo and force. Uh, Alabama to defend, you know, three wide receivers on the field and Jatavian Sanders. Um, use other stuff as a mix-up, you know, short yardage, things like that. But I would see how, how much Sark can uh, emphasize tempo and see if that's something that may catch Alabama by surprise and uh, force them into a, a defensive personnel package that may not be their, their best at this early juncture. Yeah, I do like that. I do like switching up and running some tempo and trying to get up with a, you know, with a team that is mostly returning a ton of starters, you may be able to get that done. Uh, so we know we got one more for you, one more question before we let you go. Uh, we know that Sark has said that this is not a statement game, that it's a benchmark game. It lets you see, uh, it lets you see where you're at, but not necessarily define your season. But in reality, 
How much does this game affect the team, win or lose? Uh, we know you know you can still make the college football playoff if you lose. Either team can, but mentally and going forward in the season, how much, how big is this game going to weigh on these players and this team? Well, the physical aspect is is always there. I mean, Texas. The thing about going to the SEC is, yeah, you play Bama, but then you got to turn around and play someone like Auburn or Arkansas the week after. And Texas doesn't have that with with Wyoming. But luckily, even if they're going to be you know, they're, they're going to be physically feeling the effects of, you know, however many straight weeks of football, if you count the Rice game, the Bama game, which counts as a little bit more than others, and then all training camps. So they're going to have to factor that in when they face a, a game uh, Wyoming team next week. But as far as, as mentally, it'll, it'll be huge. You know, a lot of it has to do with scheduling because Texas is the first Power 5 non-conference opponent to go to Bryant-Denny and uh, since 2010, uh, but you know, teams from teams don't beat Bama at home. Only eight have under Saban, and it took a few national champions or Heisman winners to to get it done, like Cam Newton, Joe Burrow, Johnny Manziel, those guys to to have that happen. So if Texas is able to pull it off, they're they're going to be feeling pretty darn good about themselves. But I think the coaching staff understands after also you know looking at Wyoming after Tech lost to them that they still have a test next week. So they'll, they'll celebrate it. I mean, any team celebrates wins, and, and any win against Alabama should it happen would be one definitely worth celebrating and telling a bunch of different high schoolers around the state and country about. Uh, but they'll recognize that it's not a conference game, and uh, it won't be one till next year, And even though they're not on the 2024 schedule. And that doesn't affect their standing with the Big 12, which is basically the – the goal they've talked about most about this season. They never talked in the preseason about like our goal is to beat Alabama and just leave it at that. The goal of the preseason always been to win the Big 12 as they head out. Bama would be a nice feather in the cap to have as they do that if they want to also add playoff contention. So a lot of different things going on, but they have to make sure they're ready for you know the rest of the season, both mentally and physically, no matter what happens on Saturday. There you go. Joe Cook there, managing editor of Inside Texas, at JosephCook89. Give him a follow. He is a a very good follow if you want to follow what's happening with Texas football. Joe, thanks so much for joining us today. Absolutely, Patrick. Let's do this more. Yes, we'll have you back on soon. Talk more. Hopefully celebrating an Alabama win uh, win over Alabama next week. We'll be doing that. Thanks, Joe. Uh, We're going to take a break. When we come back, we will be uh, answering your text. 512-337-3776. Which tight end? Because Travis Kelsey is out tonight. No tight end for for Patrick Mahomes. Uh, But what tight end would you want all-time on the field with the game on the line? Got some good answers already. 512-337-3776. We'll hit that up when we come back here on the Sports Complex in the Horn. 1019 AM 1260, the Horn app, and at hornfm.com. The Sports Complex with Patrick Davis on the Horn. Back on here on the Sports Complex on the Horn, playing working songs on Labor Day week. I know we're getting further away from it, but we only got a couple songs left. On Friday, it'll be 5-1-2 Friday. But keeping 
the working songs going, working hard for it. We ask you on the text line, 512-337-3776. In honor of Travis Kelsey now being out, we thought he may be trying to force it. Apparently, he was trying to convince players and management and everybody he could still play. He wasn't able to convince them enough. He is no longer going to be playing, but we want to ask you, if you had if you had an all-time tight end, any time tight end in their prime, who do you want on the field with the game on the line? I don't think anyone has taken Kelsey yet, by the way. He's dominated, been the best tight end in football for the last three or four years, five years. Nobody has taken Kelsey. We get a Gronkowski in here, a couple Jay Novacek's. You know, showing just showing your age. Jay Novacek, another Jay Novacek in here. Oh, Aaron Hernandez. No, no. Kellen Winslow, not junior. Good, good, uh, the solid, it's a very necessary uh, amendum there. Give me Jason Witten on the goal line. I always love the, the phrase, Jason Witten gets tackled like an old man going into a warm bath. It is. It is. He got, he was, a, I don't know how you can choose how slow you get tackled, but Jason Witten did it in an amazing way. Vernon Davis and Jay Novacek. I saw uh, Jay, Vernon Davis. Uh, I was uh, lucky enough to be at Mark Henry's uh, big charity event that happened a few months back, and Jason and Vernon Davis was there and still looks amazing. Still in amazing shape. Uh, just a beast. So Vernon Davis, yeah, he was and then he had the whole thing with Mike Singletary that was really interesting with the whole, you know, Mike Singletary kicking him off the team basically and getting mad at him. We get another Jason Witten in there. Tony Gonzalez, you got to get Gonzalez in there. Gronkowski, Witten, Kelsey, any QB would know how to make those work. Hands down, my man, is Jason Witten. Uh, Homer, Jermichael Fentley and Dave Thomas. I like it. <laughs> like I like I was waiting for someone to bring up a Texas tight end. I appreciate you, Chan, for bringing it up. Another Novacek. Novacek's running away with this right now. I don't feel if I put the poll out, Novacek's going to win it though. I don't know if he's the guy, but I, I you know what? I'm going to have to put him on the poll. You guys decide this, so I'm going to have to put him on our poll because you guys are saying it in, in force that Novacek is a guy. Uh, and we do have Gronk is the best tight end of all time. No question for me. Uh, people getting uh, a little upset. We get Todd Christensen from a Raiders fan. And Greg Olson was another good one. Uh, Greg Olson was really – I don't know if he ever was the top tight end in the league, though. And I feel like if you're going to be on this, you got to be the top tight end. Jason Wynn might have been there for a couple years. But, yeah, Jay Novacek right at the beginning of when tight ends were coming out and being those guys. I love the, I love the, the lines there. 512-337-3776 is a text line to join the conversation. We'll keep reading those off. Which tight end all time would you want in on your on your fourth and goal? You're got to have it. Your end of game. This is the play. Who do you want to put in on that? We got to take a break. We come back. We'll get into some NFL. We'll get you ready for the NFL game tonight. Chiefs and Lions. We'll preview that a little bit. Uh, give you our pick in that one. And also some predictions. So go ahead. Send in your picks for tonight's game. Send in your predictions. Who you think is going to the Super Bowl. Who you got there. Send those in on the, on the text line as well. 512-337-3776. We'll read some more of that as we get into the next hour here on the Sports Complex in the Horn 1049, 1019, AM 1260, the Horn app, and hornfm.com.